grand. This is the Grandtastic Podcast. I'm Grandtastic. How are you doing, sir? Great. How are you doing? I am doing pretty good, you know, just in Northern California at the moment and enjoying every minute of it. So nice. I was just in California last week. So, <laughs> oh, night. What part? Oh, uh, like Big Sur area. Okay. And Death Valley. Yeah. So I did those oh, two areas. So beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I guess just going straight into it, um, you know, I love your photography. Just going to start there. If no one knows who you are, please check this man out because his your photos inspired me honestly How, well, i appreciate it really and i bet um, so many other photographers out there feel the same way and just kind of just starting into it um you know i think i read that you're saying like on your page you're from Col you're in colorado i should say yep mm -hmm. born and raised uh for the most part i mean my family moved to estes park when i was nine so I've been, you know, I was, grew up in the mountains. I live uh, about an hour from there now. I've been there, been here for like 14 years. So I've been here most of my life. Nice. Nice. So yeah. what got you into, we'll start with the big question, got into photography in general? Was it like a family or a relative or friends? No, definitely not that. I mean, I was really, uh, I grew up in the mountains. I didn't really do anything with photography at the time. I just kind of, um, I spent a lot of time in the mountains, but I didn't really appreciate nature that much until I left. I moved to Phoenix, a uh, big city, didn't have that nature I was used to. And, um, you know, really, my dad wasn't a photographer, but he had this junky one megapixel camera that he just mailed me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm like, well, that's kind of fun. So I started just taking photos out in the desert there outside of Phoenix. And it just kind of uh, pushed me to get outside more. So uh really when it came to uh that, that was really what's triggered it was just a drive to get outside amazing that i like totally can relate we went to school at u of a tucson so like that whole desert scenery totally get mm -hmm. what you're saying it's uh dazed and confused out there as i'll say yeah 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 it's crazy desert for sure for sure and then would you say through you know you know missing nature and then kind of starting this journey with photography you just realized the two blends here, this would be great, would you say? Yeah, yeah, it was really, I mean, it became like my sole drive for like almost anything. Like it just got me, you know, on the weekends, I knew what I was doing. I was going to go out, go outside, take some photos somewhere. You know, it was always like, I knew what I was doing. I wanted to do more of it and just wanted to keep pushing myself. So, and, you know, quickly, I, I didn't really have money for a nice digital camera. So I got a film camera. That's why I started with 35 millimeter. Um so I just didn't have money for digital and I stuck with film since then. So I never really, you know, aside from that first little point and shoot thing, I never really used digital. Well, I'm, I'm glad you stick with film because you're shy. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, everything has a reason. So, you know, right. <laughs> love that. So who would you say, um, like going back and when you kind of started getting into it, where did you have any role models or photographers that you love their style and you, you wanted to, I wouldn't say mimic, but inspire you to kind of take your own path through it? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, I had like a girlfriend at the time and got me a couple books on, you know, landscape photography back when we actually bought, you know, books. And yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, she got me a book on that. And it was by this guy named John Fielder, who turns out he pumps out a lot of books. Uh, he is a local Colorado guy. Um, and, you know, he was he shot four by five. He shot film. And I like the style at the time, I'd say, I mean, I still find him to be kind of like that original inspiration in a way, but it was just that 
big mountain landscapes, remote areas. It was not just his photos. It was the way he did them. He went backpacking to create them. He'd spend a week or two at a time, uh, you know, packing around Colorado in the you know deep wilderness and get these pretty amazing photos out of it. And it was all on four by five film. And I was just kind of like, when I realized that 35 millimeter wasn't working for me, I would definitely say he was part of the influence to get me to step up to four by five. I went right from 35 millimeter to four by five. Love, love the transition right there. Cause that was, I was yeah. going with that, but like you were saying, just from a point there, it's like, you know, something about nature and when you're like, or going on a trip and you have your camera with you and you know, you're, you're in that moment with it. And something mm-hmm. particular with film, I think, which is so great is that you take that picture and you don't know what it is going to be until you get back or unless, or you find someone who can like develop and scan it right there for you. And then it creates right. this whole nostalgic memory or whatever you want to call it, which I think is great versus digital. You take it, don't like it, retake it until you like it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I only have, especially with four by five, the big sheets, you can only shoot so many. I mean, one of my big challenges, like I was just on the coast and honestly, I don't think four by five is the best format for shooting moving waves. Cause you really don't know what you're getting at all. You can't like see through the viewfinder as you're taking the shot. So, you know, a bit of a shot in the dark there, you try to guess with it. Uh, but it is kind of, you can't, you can't just like see right then and be like, that was the best way. If you got to just kind of try a few, you got to use your, you know, use your mind the best you can and you figure out when you get home and develop it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, so going straight into the four by five camera, I don't know any, I mean, very little, like this is your territory. So I, and for people who watch this, I mean, definitely there's probably people who know about it. Some people who don't for this podcast, but, uh, Maybe you can break down, or at least maybe to me, at least the four by five camera, like you were saying earlier about how it kind of, you went from 35 to here. Um, yeah. Is, would you say like, where did that journey like start for you for the four by five before we go into the uh, mechanics of it? Yeah. As, as in like why I got into it, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Like why, why? Um, yeah. It was really, you know, I'd make some prints on 35 millimeter film and, you know, the like an 11 by 14 is all I felt was like, okay, for sharpness. I'd go any bigger and I'd be like, ah, you know, not really working for me. So I wanted a bigger negative and four by five is way bigger. So, uh, I mean, really it was this, I've, I've, you know, always kind of shop with my budget. My first thing was I went on eBay and I found this crown graphic you know, with a lens and all this stuff to get me started for like 200 bucks, you know, so they were so cheap back then. And I used that for a few years, but I need those cameras. Well, really a four by five camera is super simple. It's just a place to put film. It's a place to put a lens and it's a bellows that connect the two areas. So you can put any length of lens on there. I mean, each lens just means you lengthen the bellows for a longer lens. You know, it's just really primitive and basic. There's not much modern technology going into it. Um, There's no batteries. The shutters are mechanically operated. And most of the time I'm just counting the shutter speeds myself. Um, They're just very basic, simple. I did end up wanting to get cameras that had a little more movements. And then I wanted cameras that were a little bit lighter for backpacking. But uh, really, you don't have to change gear very often. You don't need to buy new lenses all the time. I mean, I've been able to use the same kit for quite a while now. That's great. And I'm assuming yeah. it's, you just keep it in good condition and you just hope you never go back. Uh, no, I trash it all pretty badly. The lenses, I, uh, I mean, I've managed to keep the lenses in okay shape. They're not what they were 15 years ago, some of them. Um, 
but the uh the camera i'll probably beat that up every five years or so i would guess so <laughs> well do you stick with the same four by uh, five camera or do you try different models I mean, I've tried around a bit. I found one that I like now, um, but you know, I was using this Toyo Field, which actually is quite a wonderful camera, but it's heavy. The thing itself is seven pounds, wow. and yeah, you know, it really it was. I was really needed to lighten things up uh, when it came to backpacking, so I went with this one called the Intrepid Camera, which was very, very light, but a little too flimsy for my needs. It was great, you know, great for a beginner, but for someone who really beats up his cameras and really takes them all over the place, it wasn't gonna. I could tell it wasn't gonna hold up. So I found something that is very similar. Similar in design, it's this company called Chamonix, and they make a, you know, it's, it's a kind of half carbon fiber, half wood camera, um, and it's, it's just a delight to use. It's very simple. I mean, the main thing about the camera is it should get out of the way for you, so it's just, you don't want any of the stuff sticking on you or being, you know, fiddly, so it just works well. Yeah, uh, well, I even just like, just thinking about it right now, because I don't know too many people who use four by four, four by five cameras, so when something does break or something you need to repair, do you, I'm assuming you have to figure it out or is there a person you can go to? I mean, not much breaks on them, really. I mean, like the Intrepid was definitely just going to fall apart given my use. Uh, but the, for the most part, you can you can fix things in the field with gaffer's tape. You know, if you think there's a light leak, you can tape it up. If you, uh, I mean, a lot, I mean, there's really just a few screws. Up. If you, I mean, I do on long trips, I carry a spare ground glass, though I haven't broken one. I shouldn't say that. One day I might break my ground glass. And this is really the only thing that could break on the camera is you could shatter that glass. Uh, but I actually do bring one with me on long trips. It's just like a spare it's actually a plastic one but it would get me by through the rest of the trip you know like an emergency use thing yeah, so 100%. but you know and i carry some small screwdrivers and stuff with me there's like not a whole lot that can go wrong with them they're pretty tough but they get kind of gummed up and you know crummy after a while and you can just buy a new one so that's awesome so would you say like there's so many like everything you've said right now so many ideas have popped in this head so <laughs> bear with me it's it's so fascinating so okay so here's what here's an idea a thought. Um, one thing when I look at the four by five cameras, and you probably get this a lot just from people who have no idea is when you look when you're looking through the lens, it's upside down, yeah. like you're taking a shot. And someone like me or someone out there who just doesn't even know, why is it like that for that camera? Well, your eyeballs work the same way and your brain flips it around. So yeah, so lenses, just a, gen, a, a basic lens flips the image around. So same thing when you're shooting into a, for the most part, when you're shooting into a digital camera too, the image is flipped around, but the sensor, you know, just prop, the computer shows you a right side up image. So that's just how lenses work. We just don't have that. There's no mirror in there the way there is in an SLR. So that whole, you know, the, the mirror in there flips it around for you. Uh, and just not having that means you get an upside down image. The cool thing is, is, since your brain is very adept at flipping around images after just a few short months of regular use, you don't really see it upside down. It's very easy to work with, very easy yeah. to compose. So, and it's kind of cool. You're looking at shapes and shapes look just as good upside down. So, yeah, well, it was just, I mean, this is the greatest thing I learned today. Like, yeah. oh, shit, like <laughs> I was so curious and now I have a new fun fact I could tell someone. So amazing. Yeah. So then how long did it would you say it took you to master the four by five camera i mean like really oh i'm not a master of anything i mean the camera's pretty basic i mean really there's just um it's really the checklist of going through there's about 20 different steps where you could screw up a sheet of film you know, one of the biggest things I tell people is to make sure to always test fire before you put the film in because you can, you know, it's just a, it's a process. You could 
if you didn't test fire the shutter, then it might actually still be open or it might not be close to the right aperture or it might not be on the right shutter speed. And so you might put the film holder in, pull the dark slide out, and then you end up wasting a sheet of film because you just expose it to a wide open shutter or something like that. So um, the test fire lets you know that it's closed. You can hear the time it went for. So, but really there's a whole bunch of things in the whole process of shooting. It's just a checklist of, of ways you can screw up a sheet of film. And for the most part, if you're religious about it, if you stick to it and use it regularly, you're, you're, uh, it all goes in the back of your head, uh, you know, really within a year of use, I'd say it's not very hard to get it down. It's pretty basic as long as you're good at um, repetition. Yeah, and I think that's like with anything, anything that you're, you're yeah. passionate about, like you can definitely do that. So, yeah, I never know. You you see some of those gears, and you're just like, or that camera, and you're like, holy shit, can I? Manage yeah. It? So yeah, but that's that's great to hear. Um, and then while you you know when you have these cameras and when you plan out your shooting and stuff, do you would you say some of these shots that you're going out and, and posting are they clients' work or is this just you in general going out here on these trips to That's the coolest thing about being a landscape photographer and the way I've uh, made sure to make my business work is that I shoot for myself and then I worry about uh, any sort of money or clients later on. So it's uh, I I entirely shoot for myself. So I'm going taking trips I want to take. I'm photographing what I want to photograph the way I want to photograph it. And I'm not even at the and at no point in the whole process am I wondering, boy, I hope a client likes this. You know, that's not um, in my mindset at all. So after the fact. Uh, sure, I'll make prints. I do art shows. Uh, you know, I'll try to sell the stuff. You know, later on, but I'm never worried about that at the time of shooting, and that's been really important to my creative process. I think I think that that is such an important. I love all of that because that is so <laughs> true. Because no, like as a creative, like yeah, I do this podcast, but my main work is audio engineering, and like, mm-hmm. and I feel that like you do music and stuff, and but you start worrying like at least in my aspect as taken as a musician, like, you know, can I place a composition or a beat or whatever to sell it to someone to pay rent? But it's like, you should, you're doing this because you love it. The creativity should come first. And then people appreciate the art around you, then they'll come. And I think that's such a hard thing to like, keep that mindset, you know? Yeah, there can be more money for sure in creating, you know, you know, work that we're, you know, selling is the number one goal. Uh, I just don't think it'd be for me. I wouldn't enjoy it all that much. So I, I really, yeah, shoot for myself first. And I think that's probably, it's got to be really important with music, I'd imagine. So I can't imagine trying to think about the client first on that. And it happens sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of commercial photographers and they've made a whole living off of what the client wants and producing just that exactly. Um, and, you know, there's still room for creativity there, but you have to be working for a client and that's a different world. No, it really is. So, you know, I guess what, when you go out to these certain location, what like prompts you to go there? Like, or is there like, is it just, oh, this would be a great spot for this month to go out there and shoot? Or is there a reason for, for say? Yeah, kind of. I mean, you should see a landscape photographer's calendar is pretty messed up because we're just like cramming everything in there. And there's like, you know, what can we do in June? Well, June's great for, you know, wildflowers in the lower valleys. And then what can we do in July? Well, July, August, that's backpacking season, you know, and then, oh, September's fall already. And then October is fall somewhere else. And then November is a little more fall. And then, oh, the winter's here, a good time to go to the desert. So kind of working around, you know, what you can do throughout the year. 
uh also i mean what things interest you i mean there's certain kind of landscapes i i love you know mountain backpacking remote areas i actually don't photograph very well in places that see many people i mean you pull out this four by five and people walk up to you and say is that a hasselblad and you got people you know that's the one great way to mess up a sheet of film is to have 20 people yapping at you while you're trying to photograph something so i really seek out pretty remote places and that's become a bit of an obsession is really just getting yeah, that i won't have to deal with crowds uh you know so whether i'm going in the off season or i'm just going to rather unpopular places or you know places that take a lot of effort to get to that's the most part so and you know i have to enjoy the place too so i don't really seek out just like oh that's a cool image i want to go take that i want to shoot stuff at places that i like so no yeah i think definitely you need that solidarity and just like get away and i assume you can't go to like the main like grand canyon certain places where like yeah oh it's gonna be huge and um or just crowded and yeah yeah especially if someone just walked into your image while you're about to click (laughs) that's oh my god the worst (laughs) because i'm assuming like like preparation for for shooting on a four by five it takes a second yeah, I mean, I usually I can, depending on, I, I can get the camera set up and ready in a couple minutes. And then from there, I'm usually waiting for like, uh, you know, quite often by the time I see something cool and then set up, the light has changed so much that I'm hoping that I can wait again for a cloud to move or I've possibly just missed the moment. But, you know, so usually setting up is just a minute or maybe two minutes, you know, three if there's some filters or a weird wide lens or something like that. But, uh, and then the rest of the time is waiting, you know, to the light to happen so often i also will show up quite a while before sunset so i'll spend half an hour just kind of waiting or something so nice okay yeah because i was curious like when you go to these locations and like trying to figure out setup do you would you say go a day before and look you know figure out where do i want to shoot for tomorrow or something or do you just go that day and you figure it out that depends. Like a lot of times I'll do backpacking trips and a lot of these times, a lot of these places are ones you're not going to be able to go. I mean, the backpacking season is so short. There are places I've gone to over and over again, uh, but there's a lot of places that I'll probably only ever get to go to once or twice, you know, and they might be on like this five day trip. And the one thing that you want to photograph is three days in, you know, so you don't really have that day before, but you know, you try to get there early enough to walk around and say, well, it looks like sunset might happen this way and this mountain will light up and see what the skies are doing that day. Um, though a lot of times when I photograph locally, I mean, there are things that I've gone to a dozen or more times and just, you know, photographed or or even just gone to and then finally photographed after four or five times of going to it. So I kind of have a, a couple of different mindsets on how I'll approach subjects. Yeah, definitely. Because each image, when I like look at your work it's just it's beautiful and i i've seen your i've seen your youtube love the youtube how you explain some of your shots and everything i think it's great you know to have an understanding especially if you're just like someone like me trying to get into photography understand compositions and like the what you're looking for mm-hmm. uh, and particularly like a question i was just thinking about right now is when you like go to different like i don't know if you go to if you go out of state or, you know, stay in state and stuff, but when you're going to the certain location, do you, would you say, think about like, what am I trying to capture here? Like, particularly like if you're going to the desert, you know, do I want to find the cacti or something or a certain like mountain per se versus snow, if that makes sense where I'm coming from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you kind of like, what kind of subjects am I going Usually before I take a trip, I'll have an idea of like what I'm in the mood for, what I want to create, you know, like uh, if I'm going, 
you know, when I went to California a couple weeks ago, my main goal was I, I wanted to just do more coastal stuff. I think it's an area that I need to improve on. It's an area I like to create. Um, and then there was some area of some uh, up, up above the hills, above the coast that I knew that I, I liked. I've been there before and want to kind of work with some of these trees more that were up above the coast. So, you know, I kind of had some things in mind for a trip usually. So you never quite know how the conditions will play out. But yeah, I do usually have kind of some goals in mind. That's not like blind traveling, but I don't know the exact shot. I don't know the compositions and I actually kind of blindfold myself a little bit uh, to not see too much um, of the same shots over and over again. I don't really want to go to the most popular spots. I don't want to end up just going to the tripod hole locations that is going to be a bunch of photographers at. So I'll, I'll kind of like go to an area and not know what I'm going to run into until I get my boots on the ground. So, yeah, you know, I kind of, like that it's just a surprise if it's great it's great and if it ain't you you'll make the most of it you know it's a challenge yeah which is super cool um yeah would you say when you go shooting i guess is it just you or do you have anyone else with you other photographers or is just you only most of the time it's just me i've got a couple of very uh select friends and it's usually good for uh, like the really strenuous backpacking trips like if i'm going to spend 10 days doing a real rugged trip it is nice to have uh you know a couple of trusted friends on that that can get ourselves out of some scrapes or something so um but usually come sunset like you know one one friend i go backpacking with a few times a year when it comes to sunset we disappear go different directions kind of have our own you know ideas in mind but the whole day we're you know hiking 12 miles over mountains and over glaciers and hanging out together but we quite often have our own idea photographically which is that's actually the most compatible um, for me so usually i'm not shooting right next to a friend of mine it's kind of mostly solo for me that's good i mean you 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 figure it out you know and also you want mm -hmm. that you want that image to be yours so i i yeah you know well and also i'm also more uh open to uh, experimenting on my own I think uh you know when you're with someone else you know, you, sometimes I just see weird stuff you know I'm like man that might make a cool photograph it might be the dumbest photograph ever you know so I will on my own I'm a lot more likely to experiment and try things that if I were dragging someone else if someone else's schedule or uh someone might be like what are you doing man like you know I think I kind of I really like to experiment a lot more on my own so it's uh to me it's I get uh, I'm always trying to get out of my comfort zone. I do waste a lot of film on shots that, you know, they might've been cool. Uh, they're a little cool, but you know, won't do much, won't do anything with them, but I do like to experiment a lot. So. Honestly, I think, well, in any creativity, experimenting is so crucial though yeah. with prices going up on film and everything that <laughs> is like, that is the debate. If you can do it, then by all means do it. Um, yeah. If you can't, then. Choose, choose your shot wisely if you can. Yeah, or shoot a smaller format. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. honestly, thought about half frame cameras lately because like you get more shots, but the quality yeah. ain't there. Yeah, it's kind of rough. Yeah, you got to choose your battles. But um, all right, that's that's okay. Love to hear it. Um, would you say when you're setting up for an image, you know, getting ready after you take your shot, would you wait for another shot or would you go to a new? Like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is when you shoot like that shot for today would you continue shooting or no that is just the well shot. that's that's a all cost benefit analysis or something like that right i mean i'll go to a spot i'll i'll see a really cool i i kind of put composition first so if i see a really cool composition in a direction that i think good light will happen um i'll probably stick with that through the entire sunset you know say i get there an hour or two before sunset I'm, if it's really if it's just the shot um 
I'll stick with it. I might shoot the sheet when I get there and then be like, well, man, the sunset's getting better. I might shoot another sheet of the same composition. Um, there are times, however, though, and it might have even been a great composition, but for example, once the light is no longer in that spot, there's no more interest in that scene. It's done. So then I might kind of wander to, to another spot. I might, uh, you know, uh, if I'm walking around a doom field, I might go wander, you know, 50 feet, 100 feet somewhere else, set up another shot and kind of do the same thing. It's all about what do I think is going to work, maximize my time in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I actually sometimes I'm quite productive in an evening. I might get four or five different shots out in one evening. Uh, sometimes it's just one composition, but I might take several sheets. And then sometimes it's very, it's, it's four or five different compositions. So kind of depends on what the circumstances are and how strong I feel about one image. For sure. I think makes sense you know you can't, yeah it's not like because like i think it's just a different mindset i think that's what it is for me like just saying 35 you have your you know whatever go out there i see whatever i'm out there i'm just shooting away on that range yeah yeah versus you're, you're trying to find that composition piece what you're looking for and what you think yeah. the outcome will look for it so. and the biggest risk is that if i see something and i'll run back and forth i actually have this little digital camera that i carry with me that i use as a viewfinder so it's got a zoom lens that covers all of the equivalent focal lengths of the lenses I bring with it. So I can, I can leave my camera on a tripod set up for the one shot. And I can also go run around the place like a crazy person looking through this viewfinder, trying to see, hey, is there something better? What does this work? You know, And so I need to be like, well, I got that one shot. Is it going to get better? Or do I want to try setting up this other shot? And then knowing that it's going to take me a couple minutes to run over there. And then it also maybe take me a couple of minutes to change the lens and remess with the shot and all that. So it's like, do I have the time or do I need to just stay here because sunset's only five minutes away? So it's kind of uh, what do I have time for? What, you know, what's reasonable? Yeah. Choosing like, you know, your pros and cons of what do you want to do? But I think it's great. You know, always have bring an extra camera and just take yeah. it like said, running around. Yeah, that's what, so that thing is literally, it's my viewfinder and my light meter. That's how I meter the, so I know what my exposures are. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's just a little digital camera, and uh, but I I don't even use the photos from it. I mean, I just dump the memory card out when it fills up. I just so yeah, <laughs> love it. That's amazing. So because there is no light meter on a four by five, there's like, it's just there's nothing, it's nothing at all. Yeah. yeah so, okay. So you gotta, yeah. I wonder what they did back then, how they figured it all. Well, out. they would use a handheld light meter. You know, they've had okay. the they've had the old style ones, and they've had the digital handheld ones, the little you know LCD ones. So they've had all sorts of light meters since really the dawn of photography, because they kind of had to figure that out right away. So that is, yeah, I always, yeah. always curious. So yeah, that's awesome. So then, as because how long have you been shooting? You know, going back um, over fifteen years or so. Yeah. Is there out of those 15 years? And this is a big question. So I understand that there's no. Have answer. I peaked? Is that what you're asking me? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there. I think you're already, you're, you're already doing amazing. I think. <laughs> what is your favorite spot or your most like that one spot you always keep coming back to? Like you just have a connection with. Um, I, I mean, anywhere above the tree line in the summer. I mean, I, I, I love, um, the mountains of Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, uh, all of them throughout the summer. And it's a variety of spots. I really am not all that, that picky on it. Uh, and for the fall, I always head to Southern and Southwest Colorado and like all of it, like, it's not just like a spot, it's like all sorts of spots. So, you know, it's just, 
um, anywhere with his Aspen trees for the fall. I mean, that's probably been my most repetitive, consistent trip ever is a Colorado fall color trip. I mean, I always do about 10 to 14 days, uh, driving around the state, you know, chasing the leaves essentially. So it's kind of when I put on my traditional photographer hat and, uh, kind of break away from some of my newer work and just go back to shooting pretty colors and, you know, Aspen trees and mountains and whatnot. So, I mean, I love it. I, I yeah. love it. Definitely be great. Um, because you said you went to Big Sur. Would you ever have you ever been to Truckee or Tahoe or in that kind of area of NorCal? No, not really. No. Yeah, definitely should. Love to, to see. Yeah, love <laughs> to see your shots on from in the NorCal aspect of it. That'd be amazing. For sure. And then yeah. I, I guess just through that, you know, coming through, you know, your shots are amazing. But then you got that uh, drum scanner, which is so, so fascinating. I, I watched yeah. a minute video very like totally different from like any other scanner <laughs> I have seen in my life or going to a, like a film store and getting them to scan it. What, yeah. what made you pursue getting, you know, the scanner? I mean, it's always been, I like to make big prints of my stuff and I have this flatbed scan that I've had forever. And, you know, it, it does a pretty good job on big sheets of film for sure. But I, I always knew that the drum scanner was the best way to scan films. So I, you know, as I wanted to make more larger prints and just really wanted the best quality possible, a little more shadow detail, smoother colors. Uh, I mean, it's a mostly analog process too. I mean, it uses tubes. It's not really digital until the very end. So it's a, a very, it's an older process actually, but still it's just the best way to get shadow detail and really smooth colors. So I wanted it. I just wanted to go down that. I wanted to take the jump and go with it. So yeah, because yeah. They're not, it took a while. <laughs> yeah, they're not. First of all, they're not cheap. I like. I looked online. Like, yeah, that's a that's an yeah. for sure. A hundred percent. Um, was it hard to get one in America, or are they? Or, I mean, are there some available? I mean, at the time, I found one on eBay. I actually found it at a pretty good price. The guy's wife wanted out of the garage because uh, it's. I mean, it's things as tall as me. It's five hundred fifty pounds. It's wow. huge. You know, it's a. Uh, it's a big thing and she wanted it out of the house so he sold it um just shipped it freight which somehow wasn't that expensive actually and uh yeah so um it actually wasn't too bad to get it here but i do have a guy flies out from germany and you know maintains it every few years so <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a problem there's not that many of them so this is a german model um and they made a couple thousand of them and most of them went in the trash so wow wow yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. i'm glad you have someone who can fix it or if they need yeah. or anything about it and would you say, because I know you do offer service for it, would you, would you say mm -hmm. a lot of people or clients hit you up for using oh, it? Yes. It's been very busy, actually. That's been incredibly busy. So I get a lot of film from um, all over the place. Uh, people send me, you know, small, small amounts or huge amounts, hundreds of pieces of film, dozens of pieces of film. So a lot of people use me for just really getting that best scan they can. They don't usually send me all of their shots. They're like, you know, they'll have their own scanner for basic scans, you know, stuff to put online. But when they want to make a really good print or really want to get the best out of it, they'll send me their best shots. Definitely. I think yeah. that's great. I know, I know it's not cheap to like, I was yeah. like one single shot for sure, but yeah, yeah. the images that come out of it, 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 it blows my mind. And I'm so mm -hmm. curious, like with a 35 millimeter camera, like what would take one of my images and if I sent it to you, how that sharpness would change it, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely get to see all of the grain details. So it definitely helps any format, you know, and, and uh, there's just the smoother colors to it. You know, if you have, I don't know if you shoot slides or negs or both or, okay, oh, yeah. So negatives, you just get that smooth gradients. I can really, uh, you know, I can, I can make it, colors look pretty much perfect for you. And I like to give you a nice flat file so you can work with it and, you know, so you have room to play in the highlights and shadows. Uh, it's really, it can make anything kind of quite a bit better than most scanners. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. I, you don't have to like convince <laughs> me. Like, um, yeah. like even behind you right now, I'm pretty sure that's one of your shots right behind you. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like amazing and beautiful. And um, how long would you say it takes just to, cause is it just, you take a batch of them? How does it really work? How many uh, photos or scans you can do? On yeah. So there's this drum, this acrylic drum that I have to mount the film onto and I have to mount the film, you know, in this fluid sandwich between the drum and the sheet of clear optical mylars that I have to tape down. So um, I can fit six, four by five sheets on one drum. Um, and that takes me probably about an hour to mount it and then get the software. I mean, I have a 20 year old Apple that you have to use to run the 20 year old scanner. Uh, so it's a power Mac G4. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I have to, it takes me about an hour to load the drum up, like tape out, tape down the Mylar, get the fluid on and everything, and then get the software going, get the six scans spinning up. And then each one is I think 45 minutes per scan. So I guess about four hours later, three to four hours later, it's done scanning those six shots. So it's not like just popping it in a scanner and, you know, more like the flatbed takes uh. stuff four minutes to do the two sheets you know it's so much quicker but it is uh especially i can fill up i can fit like 15 frames of six by seven like smaller you know medium format film and that'll scan all day that'll that'll that's like 12 hours of scanning so wow yeah. so it's it like i mean but you're paying for the you know the best you know sharpness ever so yeah rather it takes time and it gets the quality perfect then like you said flatbed just a quick whatever and it's like yeah, all yeah. right so then just even thinking about this right now people are sending you so much of their film for you to scan. I mean, what is the, would you say, the date for them to get it back? Like, would you say a few months? I mean, I try to be pretty quick. Right now, I, I've got caught up with most of the stuff that was sent to me when I got back from my last trip. So, you know, I try to get stuff done within a week or so. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit long. If people send me like a few hundred frames, it's going to be a couple months usually. So it kind of depends on if they send me really big jobs, um, it could be a couple months. And some people have some huge bucks that they'll, you know, they'll dump five or 600 frames on me and say, Hey, get it done this year kind of thing, you know? So it kind of depends on what I can work around. So yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. But smaller orders, I, I try to squeeze them in when I can. No. Yeah. I think if you, like, if it's just one little, like, you know, frame yeah. by all means, but if it's a full project, that's wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I guess then, you know, because you do landscape and everything, are there like any, like, goals would you say for 2022 that you're you're looking to shoot maybe shoot for like a magazine or a company or whatever it is that you you're hoping to no do? just more shooting for myself i do plan on uh kind of, I'm, I'm i'm hoping to disappear for most of the summer actually and go on a quite an extended trip though i probably won't spill too many beans about that uh I'm kind of working out the details yet um so usually my art my summer is full of art shows and this year i plan on doing less of those and focusing more on creating new work yeah, I, I look forward to it. I look forward to all of it. You know what I mean? I'm excited. Yeah. And then I guess the only uh, other stuff I'm just curious about is, do you remember your first like four by five shot that you took? 
Yeah, you know, it actually came out all right. It was um, it was in the fall. It was like a it was a, a waterfall with some aspen around it, and uh, it's all right. It actually exposed perfectly. It was a sheet of velvia. The colors are nice. It's not the most amazing composition by any means, but that that was my first. It was a shot of velvia fifty. Was my first shot. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah, and that, it actually was that, like it was well exposed and everything. So it was actually, actually all right. It was, wasn't that amazing of a shot. <laughs> so you know that feeling though of shooting it, it's probably was just yeah amazing. Like, oh, I'll tell you, I was pretty amazed at the time. I put it on a light table. I'm like, whoa, look at this. You know, it's so amazing. But I have I don't even know if I have that on a computer anywhere somewhere. It's probably it's in a binder somewhere. Yeah, I mean closet. So definitely. do you ever <laughs> do you ever take out your old 35 and just shoot any like? Any other camera? No, I don't even have a 35 millimeter camera right now. I have a, I have a medium format that I use occasionally. I mean, pretty rarely. Uh, a little bit like storm stuff I might do or stuff that um, it's pretty rare that I use the medium format camera. So, yeah, definitely. And then if, if, if it's cool with you, can I ask you about like what's the story of this photo? Because there's some photos I, I you've taken where I'm so curious of like the story behind it. Okay, go for yeah. it. So there was. There was one photo, this photo I just love. If I don't know if you can see. Oh, God, can the screen... Oh, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, is... Yeah, um, yeah. Is that got a mountain in the background? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mountain, trees, snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that is actually not far from where I grew up in Estes Park. Um, and that that's, that's, a national, that's Rocky Mountain National Park, which has gotten wildly busy. So I don't really go there very often in the summer anymore, but I actually, it's only about an hour and 15 to get up there. So after a nice fresh snow, I just went up like earlier this week, actually. I like to go up uh, after a snow and just, there's a couple of trails. I like to just want you know, you, you can drive up to like 9,500 feet in the winter. They usually keep the road open unless it's like a major storm. So I just kind of hike up from there. There's a couple spots I just love to, I'll go to over and over. There's a few clearings in the tree. Like that was just a little clearing between trees. Like I was literally on the trail turned around and I'm like, oh yeah, there's that great view of Long's Peak right there. And it was framed by, I mean, usually those trees aren't much, but when they're covered in snow like that, you know, the big, you know, lumps of snow, like eight inches of snow hanging from every pine needle. It's just amazing. So it's just great. And then the clouds behind the kind of covering, yeah. like that's just, that shot in general, it's just so, I don't know, breathtaking. I don't know. Maybe that's a strong, yeah, yeah. Word, but it's just it. It just blows my mind. It just doesn't, it feels like you see it in like a movie, you know what I mean? The shot right. like there, which I just love. And, you know, when you're going into like editing the film or the shot, would you say how, I guess, what is your process when you're editing? I guess that's where I should first start there. I really, for slides, I'm trying to make it look like the way the slide does on the light table, which the drum scanner does a stunning job of getting it pretty darn close. Like, I mean, it, it really looks the way I have it profiled, it looks just about like the slide does in a light table. So from there, all I'm doing is just, you know, bringing it to a more like realistic contrast level. So I might be, I might be like, you know, adding a little bit of love to the shadows, if you will, and just making sure not to, you know, clip the highlights or anything. But I'm really just, I mean, the way you scan something, you should always scan so that your scan looks a little bit dull and flat. You should think of it kind of like a raw file because you never want on that, 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 horrible software that's 20 years old i can't really see exactly what's going on in the scanner so i do I, I leave a lot of room so really what i'm doing once i pull it into photoshop is i'm fixing the white balance so if i need to i am adjusting the highlights adjusting the shadows and just kind of you know getting it all to where it could print properly so and then for negatives i have to totally invert those manually so i scan them in they look like an orange you know brown orange nothing 
um, I have to invert those manually. So with negatives, you have a lot of, uh, I mean, you have to have creative say in it. That's how it was back in the printing days too. So you do have to choose how you want the contrast to look and you have to choose your color balance almost entirely on your own. Well, that's, so. I mean, that's interesting actually just hearing that you had to choose how you want to look because you know, there's this whole like thing of people like purists, like you should just take the shot and that is it. And then there's people like, yeah. and I'm just like <laughs> hearing that it's go ahead. I w- yeah, I want to bust that whole myth about people shooting unedited film shots because it's not really true. Because the scanner that the if you're just you know, a lot most people that make that claim are just getting stuff back from the lab and the lab scan, which quite often they look wonderful. Um, but that lab scanner made a bunch of calculations and it chose the contrast, it chose the color balance. There is really not such a thing as an unedited ne- unedited negative photo. I mean, in the printing days. Every photo had to have a little bit of tweaking in the printing. Uh, I mean, they're just, you know what I mean? All, it, there is no such thing. <laughs> yeah, no. So, well, just hearing yeah. That, it makes, like, just hearing that, the process and everything, it's like, yeah, it's, it's deciding how it can look for you. It's like, so yeah. it is being edited. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a whole, I mean, you all probably already know, like, how people, like, just go on that rant about it. So it's just it's yeah, so yeah. hearing that, like, because, yeah, I think, it's a, it's an art form, you know, photography mm-hmm. is an art form and how you want it to look for someone else's eyes. You want to present it in a certain way. So you have to edit, which, you know. Yeah. Every photographer is going to have a little bit of a different way of seeing color too. So, you know, if someone was printing in the dark room and they had the three different dials on their color prints, they would have, you know, some photographers have been like, man, I kind of like a little more magenta or like a little less of it. You know, everyone's going to have their own taste. And that's going to be the same when it comes to choosing your colors on the computer too. So it's really not really any different. So, I mean, like I, I have a basic inversion all when I, when I pull in the negative scan, I have this, like, it's just an inversion that I've, I've it seems to work generally okay for most sheets of film. So I start off with that and then I have to adjust for each image. So, you know, depending on how, if it was a little underexposed or a little overexposed or what kind of color, but I'm, I am letting the film breathe through. I'm not like turning, I'm not torturing this file to make it look something that it wasn't at all. I, I am letting, you know, if it's, it was shot on portrait, I want that characteristic to come through. There's a reason why I choose certain film types. So I'm, I am kind of trying to keep that. Yeah. And I think I love the word you said breathing because you can definitely feel it through the eyes of the, you know, into the image. It's not like, yeah, see, you're like a hundred percent warmth or whatever you're doing. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You really see the natural colors that are just being themselves. And I think mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Would, though, when I see your photos, it's all color. Do you shoot black and white at all? Or? I haven't. I mean, it's probably been four, maybe five years since I've shot a sheet of black and white. So um, I have decided to fully focus on it. What it was, I would have, I would always have two or three film holders of black and white film with me. And I'd kind of like forget about them all the time. I'm like, oh, that would work on black and white. So like every couple of months I'd choose something on black and white. And it became something where it was so far in the back of my head that there was no point in me carrying black and white film with me. So I am clearly a color photographer at this point. I can always change. Um, but right now I am heavily focused on color. So though I have some black and white stuff that I've shot and liked, uh, I, you know, I would, I would, I still have it in larger. I would print those in the dark room and, you know, I, I wouldn't make anything too big, but like 16 by 20 gelatin prints and they look nice, you know, but I haven't done my own black and white in a long time. And then I'm, I mean, I, if you ever drop it, let me know. I'm always here to see what that looks like. Probably amazing, you know, <laughs> see uh, your compositions in black and white for sure. And I'm assuming you get people who send you black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and like what's the is the editing for because i'm assuming black and white for editing it's wholly different game field than color that is the and I, I that is one like kind of disclaimer i have for customers too is that black and white is 100 up to artistic interpretation I mean, so I, I'm same as the way I scan negatives. I scan it as the negative. So you're looking at a very, you know, you're looking at inverted black and white. It's super low contrast for the customer. I do invert it. And then I kind of give a generic contrast curve that I think works with the image. I tell customers, I leave it quite flat. I mean, you've got to make your final, you know, you've got to give it your final love kind of like, I, it'd be really hard to have darkroom prints made for another photographer too you know like i think everyone the photographers usually would jump in on that final step because you have to say how contrasty do i want i mean some people love really really punchy contrasty black and white and some people want a lot of room in the shadows and a lot of more a lot of shades of gray so there's so much room for interpretation there do people who they send you like their like film or their slot or whatever do they like put like a description of telling you what they want or is it just you know, here it is, do your magic. Uh, pretty much here it is, do your magic for okay. the most part. Yeah, though a lot, a lot of people know that what they're giving is, for the most part, a file that they can work with. Mm-hmm. So that's usually people's goal is they're trying to get the highest quality file that still has room to work with. So they're always going to be a little low on contrast. So most of these photographers do want to make the final tweaks themselves. So. Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then the other other photos I had, um, I don't know, I hope you can see this one. I just love Oh uh, yeah! Oh yeah! I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that just is. It's like harmony. But the word that comes to me is harmony. It's just very mm-hmm. peaceful. What's the story on that beautiful photo? Um, yeah, it's an area not far from my friend's house. Uh, Mel is the next state up, and he, uh, you know, he every almost every June or right around the end of June, it gets these amazing lupin blooms, and so. I spent uh, a week up there just a lot. I mean, it was so many loop and there was just every, everything that wasn't trees or rocks was covered in lupin. It was just amazing how many of those flowers there were. You have another uh, photo so, that's just all of it. I remember if I'm correct. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so many of them. And so I, I love that one. The, the way these like dots of lupin in the foreground lead to that triangular peak. Uh, and it's not like a towering peak. It's these hogback. It's like these, twisted um you know sedimentary peaks that but makes a perfect triangle and it's just i love center heavy compositions i'm sure you've seen that a lot in my work is that i kind of put like everything in the middle (laughs) it's like yeah yeah which i'm realizing but i love Um, yeah yeah but though you have one photo that i have on here i was curious you say that um it's with the aspen trees and they're yellow i mean you can probably oh yeah yeah so like what was the mindset for that one because like I mean, what, I just, is, what is your center in that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, we can kind of see there's a patch of blue is the center. As far as the composition, it's just this circle of trees kind of that frames the blue sky. That image is just born of the amount of time. I mean, I've spent so much time walking in, in fall color Aspen yeah. Forest, and <laughs> it's so fun to just look up. So I'm like, yeah, just take a photo of it. Like, it's just, I love looking up at that. It's kind of weird using a four by five looking straight up. <laughs> it's a gonna, bit of an odd move under yeah. the tripod. But uh, yeah, it's a, that was just kind of a fun photo. I mean, I, I love walking in Aspen Forest. It's the best smell. It's just a, an amazing experience to be. And you'll hear the leaves just rustling. So I love it. Oh, the colors are just amazing. It just blows my mind. And I would love to see, I think it'd be crazy, you know, you probably have shot like, you know, just birds that are just like flying through it and just seeing the sharpness of them probably maybe. In your <laughs> Not too much. No, they're usually too blurry oh, okay. well, <laughs> as far as like exposure time. Yeah. 
forget so, that. Forget that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess the only other one that I, that caught my eye that I loved is was this barn house one with the hay stack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen, I've been doing a lot of prairie images. So yeah. I've been all over the Northern Plains and it's, I mean, I'll take these road trips that are three or 4,000 miles and um, I'll, I'll bring my bike with me and I'll ride my bike down these roads during the day, uh, you know, down these dirt roads, I'll find scenes and then, you know, come sunrise or sunset, I usually drive back to them. And uh, cause I'm trying to maximize my amount of things I can shoot or so. Um, but I've been all over the prairie. That was one of those insane sunrises with like a hundred year old grain elevator that's, you know, got red paint on it. It's leaning a little bit. And um, those hay bales in front of it were just like a special touch. So uh, I, I love these scenes that I've been doing a lot of this prairie stuff the last two years. I'm sure you've seen uh, almost about three years now. I've been focusing heavily on it and I take entire trips just to go shoot that stuff. So it, it, it blows my mind, like how, like, you know, you would think it's all set up, but it's not, it's just, it's just there. And you're just yeah. like, perfect. I'm taking this. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of, I've been working a lot with longer lenses too. So uh, that was like a 300 millimeter lens, which is not all that long on four by five. It's like a hundred millimeter on 35. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of longer lenses and it lets me kind of really make these like almost two perfect compositions. You know, once again, you see the grain elevator is centered, the bales around it look like they were just, it looks like I put them there, you know, as far yeah. as the placement. And it had to do with me kind of walking up and down the road a little bit and trying to find that perfect position. I'm like, oh man, these like three line up so perfectly. So just had to shoot it. It was, a, it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's just like the shots, like I can see what you're saying with the middle shot and hearing like the lens you're using, are you, would you say you've been, you know, leaning towards a longer lens than a shorter lens? Uh, for prairie for that prairie work and was interesting uh, some people might even know my older oil i was doing a lot of stuff on the prairie uh the oil industry exploded in my local area so i was photographing the oil industry almost entirely on 90 millimeter lens like almost every single shot in that series was on a 90 which i had to get real close um, there's a lot of light fall off on a wide lens so 90 is kind of like 28 ish millimeter um but it does kind of like dramatize the center of the scene a little bit more because there's always a little bit of vignette there uh and I really kind of stuck with that uh, one focal length for all of it. But on these newer images, I decided I'd step back a bit and realize the different work I can have with the compositions and how perfect the verticals are in the buildings. I'm really using the front rise of the four by five. So you notice none of the vertical lines are converging because the way I can tweak that on four by five. Um, so yeah, I almost always am using a 210 millimeter lens and then sometimes a 300, um, I use a variety, but I'm, I want them all to kind of look similar. So I most often use that 210. So, which is like a 70 millimeter. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the part that is like, I mean, you've been doing this for a very long time. So you understand the length of the lens is that, would you say for anyone starting in photography, they should start stick with one lens and just try to master it? Boy, I mean, I'd have... That's one argument. I don't, I see, I see no harm in that argument. I think it's actually, cause it probably, that's the whole idea of working within restrictions being, you know, makes creativity. Um, though it really opens up a lot of possibilities to have a whole range. So I have lenses ranging from 65, uh, 75 millimeter up to 500 millimeter. So I have the full gamut I can choose from. Um, I can't carry all of those with me in the mountains, but um, when I'm near my vehicle, I'll have all of them with me. When I'm in the mountains, I'll choose more to the wide. Usually if I'm going to go backpacking, I'll have my 75, which is crazy wide. I'll have that with me all the time. 
Um, I think it's really, there are trips. I mean, one of the nights I spent one night up at backpacking in the California coast, I brought four lenses with me and used all four of them. So um, I do think it's nice to have that variety. No, I think, I mean, also if you have the funds or, you know, if you can afford other lenses, because lenses can get pretty fucking they're pretty cheap they're pretty cheap on four by five i mean like well, they're usually three they're usually 300 bucks see, so. I, have, I have a leica so it's a it's a little oh, yeah. they're not cheap yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. for the four by five that is great to hear yeah. yeah most of them are quite affordable they, they are going up the intrepid camera did increase the popularity for sure uh so and they're you know they're not being made so often so there's uh definitely there but you know i'm talking used lenses of course but there wouldn't really be a reason to buy new ones so well, it just kind of shows you that like you know the shots you take and like you're saying how cheap they are like you can really you don't need these big name like you know leica or Hassel mm -hmm. or like it, it, it kind of just blows your mind like you know what i mean it's just really like the corporation is just their name is why people buy it don't get me wrong they, they have the, the reasons but like yeah yeah it's just kind of interesting thinking about that yeah, and I have a lot of people that will, you know, ask me, you know, what lenses do I need to buy for four by five? And I'm like, whoa, just like any, like, they're all good. Like, you know, if you want to get a Fuji or an Icor, or I mean, my bag is a whole bunch of it's whatever I found in the focal length I wanted at the price I wanted. Um, and, you know, the desired, you know, really, I'm looking for the qualities of a lens and not for a brand name. So I've got like five, six different brand names in the bag. So it's just a whole mix of stuff. So yeah, rightfully so. I mean, you were here just for the image. That is what yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That is so. the goal here for it yeah which is great and i guess what would you say like so you know just throwing the idea out i shoot with 28 millimeter and like mm -hmm. i think it's it's definitely interesting how i try to shoot because it's the only lens i have um okay i guess you could say i do a lot of street photography but sure what is what is i guess one advice you would give for someone like me i guess you say for 28 and how to really make my image like i guess set sit better because sometimes i'm just too fucking far where my subject is or sometimes i'm just way too close i, I have that yeah middle spot with it uh i probably my biggest advice would be watch the edges you know never put anything crucially important in the edges you always want some room uh i like to i like to let images breathe but that doesn't mean just be real far away you know if your subject is small or awkward i mean you do need to have the subject needs to take up a notable portion of the frame uh, while still having breathing room. So clutter in the edges can ruin an image pretty quick. You know, it can get messy, uh, which is probably, which is a challenge in the street. It's a challenge in nature too. I mean, nature is chaotic. It's a mess a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, trying to find this organized shape in your image and wides, it really, it's kind of amazing because how much you can zoom with your feet, you know, you can just get closer, you know, so yeah, I get uh, just using only one lens, you can you can uh, you can do a lot, but it's it's trying to find an organized image, something clean, something where whatever you're trying to frame is visible, clear, large enough, um, but not messy. You know, that's the biggest thing. And like the point, like you just said about like moving your feet. Like I have comment <laughs> one photographer, and he's like, move your goddamn ass feet to your like subject in every photo. I'll yeah, take. yeah, yeah. Because like he's right. I'll just like. You know, I'm I live in the Bay. So like, you know, San Francisco, it's just great. You drive around, you shoot, whatever. But yeah, sometimes yeah. you got to keep moving because people are trapping everything and it's a little hard to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't call I'd go nuts trying to shoot in that environment. Oh, my I God. wouldn't be able to handle it. I'm a small town guy. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it's definitely a different environment. But then going up to like, you know, going to, you know, Stinson Beach or, you know, Tahoe mm-hmm. or, or Santa Cruz, like it's then it's, it's just great. Then you can get out and then whole different like feeling you could say because you're with nature. And I think with your photos that inspired me, particularly, it's just like how like your photos create this like freedom that that makes me want to and probably other people to get out there more with nature. And I think that's great. And yeah, thank you for well, that. So. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know, like when you take a photo, I guess, like, what is your goal? What do you want your, like the viewers to feel? Do you want them to feel that, I guess, that same freedom that you're feeling while you're on these trips? Yeah. I mean, for, first and foremost, I mean, like, aside from the art of it, I'm just trying to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just enjoying it, but I do. It is really good when people can enjoy the sense of being there, uh, you know, whether it's, and some of my prairie stuff is probably a little bit weird for that. I'm not sure it's necessarily the stuff people want to see themselves at, but they, they end up actually quite liking it. It's the openness, the uh, the solitude, uh, and, and not like the sad kind of solitude, but like yeah. the good kind, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I want people to connect with them in some way or another. So and I, I think that people do quite often, which I, it's nice to hear. So that's kind of the goal is an image people can connect with. That's not so over the top that they're just like, that doesn't look like nature. Uh, I think, you know, I want people to feel like they were there, not, not, not in some sort of full on fairy tale land, like an over the top, you know, everything's perfect. There, there are some flaws in nature too. And I do like to kind of bring those through. So. I think, yeah, I think you should just be like, just real, you know, you know, yeah, yeah. like you said. So, yeah. And I think it's never over the top or anything, at least in my, when I look at your photo. So it's, um, it's inspiring to say the least. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And I guess the only other thing is, what would you tell someone who's starting photography? What should they do if it's 35, 120, or if they're getting, if they want to experiment in four by five, what is the overall, uh, I guess, recommendation would you tell someone starting out? Ah, uh, boy. I, I mean, know, as far I, as I, like, I, I yeah. Right. I know. It's, yeah, it's broad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really just spend a lot of time on it. You know, just just find find subjects that speak to you. Um, it doesn't really matter what kind of format you want to use. You know, if you want to shoot film at all, or if you want to use digital, it doesn't matter. Uh, just find subjects that speak to you just uh, and, and try them over and over again. Uh, you know, really just work with it, spend lots of time on it. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. Uh, I think we got everything honestly on the podcast, which is great. And cool. thank you for having uh, being on here. And I hope everyone has learned. I learned a lot today. I learned <laughs> like cameras and like our eyes and everything, and four by five. And definitely gonna do some more research about that camera because I'm so curious. And then, I guess, what is the best way for people to reach you if they want to? uh send their prints to you or their photos oh film um i mean you can find me on instagram and then i also have the alexburkphoto.com is my website for the you know the drum scanning services on the page there and such like that so yeah perfect we'll add the link to the bottom to this and people can uh check it out afterwards and stuff all right thanks for having me yeah all right everyone have a lovely day and hope you guys thrive